Hi there, I'm Frances LaCosta, and you're listening to Big Impact Women. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Cherise Ajoda, a human development practitioner for 24 years. She has worked with the United Nations Development Program, the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment, and Oxfam Canada. She recently wrote a book, Things I Would Have Told My Children If I Had Them, An Adult's Guide to Living in Connection, where she beautifully wrote and told stories from her life and the wisdom she has gained from her experiences throughout the years. In this conversation, we dove deep into her writings and the philosophies she held true and now wants to share with others. Here's my conversation with Cherise Ajoda. Hi, Cherise. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Francis. It's really on, it's my honor and my privilege, truly. Thank you. All right, wonderful. So I actually read your book and you wrote the book, Things I would have told my children if I had them, an adult's guide to living in connection. So I I read through it and I was really blown away by it. And I really mean it from the bottom of my heart because it's just so deep and authentic. But at the same time, it's so relatable. Like when you were telling those stories in each chapter of the book, I can actually see some parts of myself in it. And memories of my childhood just came flooding in some of them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to have that too. Or, you know, my dad used to do this too, et cetera. And so I just was brought to that space and time of, of being with people I love. And so I, I'm curious to know, like, how did how did the book come about? Maybe you can tell us a little background story of that. Sure. And thank you so much. And honestly, that's probably the the greatest compliment I've gotten on the book that it actually took you back to similar moments in your life. I was tasked with doing a a project for a course I was taking in applied positive psychology. And I had a very kind of technical view in my head of what that should look like. And I began the process of, of doing this. And somewhere along the way, it just felt like there was a part of me that needed to emerge that was not about all the things that were going on in my head, but that there was something in my heart that wanted to come out. I wanted my experience doing this to be something that would change me and would change the way that I thought about myself and my life. I wasn't sure what that was going to be in the beginning, but at some point I remember that I had had some idea within me that I would have wanted to give some messages to my children if I had them. I had always wanted a family and it just didn't emerge. And I still in some ways don't know how to rewrite that story because the vision I had for myself was someone who had that life. And I've been looking for closure. How do I accept the person that I am now? And how do I move on and still feel like I have a full life even though I didn't have that? And the idea of writing a book to my my inner child emerged within me. And it was a kind of a therapy, but it was also a way to um, give life to parts of me that I felt I wanted to amplify or reinforce. 
And then I also started thinking, what can adults learn from this? What are some of the things I experienced as a child that I think adults take for granted that they do, but they don't know how it affects us as children? And what are some of the parts of me that feel lost right now that I can kind of track back (laughs) to when I was a little one and that I'm trying to make whole again? And the minute I started realizing I had a story within myself, I know it doesn't seem like a very concrete thing, but the intention to move beyond what was familiar, the intention to think beyond producing something intellectual and wanting to do something from my heart was enough to draw it out of me. And when I speak of intention, I mean a full emotional and psychological commitment. I mean that I was determined within myself to do something different, even something that would make me uncomfortable. And the minute I made that commitment to myself, all of this started coming out. And I think the issue of not having had children was a big thing for me. But I also realized that I had a lot to offer and to teach. And when I thought back and I thought about my my story and how I came to be as I am now, I thought, give this light. This is so much about the passion of your own inner child. This is so much about the love that you had surrounding you. This needs light. And short story long, as we say in the Caribbean, <laughs> that's how I, I came to just let it unfold. And so I didn't have a plan. I had a little snippets of writing here and there. And then over the years, and just had it in a folder somewhere in my computer. Some of that was in a couple of the chapters that emerged. But for the most part, I would just come and sit. And write. Sometimes I would cry while I was writing. <laughs> I just let it happen. Amazing. Yeah. Like from, from what I hear from you, it's just an organic and free-flowing process. And you just listened to what's coming up for you. So maybe through the years that you have been writing, that book probably is already wanting to come up, but it wasn't yet time. And so I'm like like thinking, it's you know, it's like giving birth, right? It's it's like in the process that you actually gave birth to this because it is the time. And that course that you took was the vehicle for that, for you to produce this and get this out in the world. And I thought it was brilliant. So what really, where I resonated from is when you were mentioning about, you know, it's just drawing out that inner child in you. It's remembering that we were once children, And how we have forgotten through the years as we grow up and the stories, the beliefs that we have about ourselves, we have forgotten just how honest and innocent we are. And we're just happy, playful, fun kids who just, you know, are curious about the world. Right. So that's how I I read it. If perhaps I could just respond to that quickly and say to you that a big part of that for me was as a child, I had a lot of trauma just looking at the pain in the world and not knowing how to make sense of it. That is what drove me into my work in human rights. It's what has been that underlying thing in me that's always asking, why, why, why is this like this? I can't understand. Why are human beings like this? And the reason why I'm raising that is to say that the innocence of childhood, yes. Curiosity and the wonder of childhood, yes. But also the trauma of that innocence being confronted by this world, (laughs) which is both hard and soft. And I think that's what I understood about the relationship between that child and my sense of purpose. 
and the person that I've become and what moves me is that children also register. They feel they have deep empathy and they feel that suffering and they feel that disparity very deeply. And that's also why my little book ends up addressing some of those larger issues because they're not unrelated. My care and concern for the world emerged through the innocence of the gaze of my inner child. When I was reading your book and you were telling these stories about how much the people around you has greatly influenced who you are, right, and and what you do. And that brings me back to my own self because I too, just like you, I don't have children and I'm not going to have children and but I do have my nieces and nephews and I just have this absolute love for them and in a way I'm also careful about who I am when I am with them because reading through that book is like they actually observe they look at us and even if sometimes they don't know they pick a little bit of something from from us and so I, I think that was like like an eye-opener for me in, in a way that maybe I could also help them influence the same way that you were influenced with your love of books, right? With the love mm. of music. And remembering that too, when I was a child, you were speaking that you were a voracious reader. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, we have like a libraries and we have a collection of books. And indeed, yeah. like, you know, we mix the books with the adults and us, right? And, and kids, like teens books. But then we go in our age and a certain age where we're also curious about, hey, what are they reading? And that indeed made a lot of influence on me. So can maybe can you speak about like, you know, how reading has opened up this world for you? I think that it was the ultimate freedom for me. It was this way to engage with myself that was uncensored. It was a way that I could satisfy my curiosity, that I could live many possibilities, that I could indulge my imagination and my creativity, you know, because you, your mind is very flexible when you're really immersed in a story or an idea. And for me, I, I was really just so curious about things and I was very intellectual, but of course, you're still acquiring language as a child. You're not able to engage a conversation maybe like I am now or begin exploring something conceptually with someone. You're still taking in language. You're still processing your feelings, finding a way to communicate. And I think for me, reading opened up all of that because I could then acquire ways of explaining and describing things that I was exploring while also exploring them freely. And in the book, the reading and music and all of these things came up for me because they were places that I could just build my connections, my emotional self that was not going to be yes or no by someone. This is a good feeling. This is a bad feeling. You know, don't think this, don't feel this. It was just this space where I could be. That, I think, for me, if I had not had that, I'm not sure that I would have the capacity that I do to love, to savor life, <laughs> to value different perspectives, you know, to see life from different angles, from different points of view for people, and to understand that 
yours is not the only life. It's not the only world. <laughs> you know, there is so much there that everyone is experiencing. And then the last thing I would say on this is um, your inner world, that whole life inside of you, that's a really special place. And even I'm learning more in evolutionary terms, it's a very incredible thing for human beings to have this sense of an inner life, something that no one can see <laughs> but you. You're the only one who experiences it. And it can make your life pure magic. And how do you explore an inner life? That is yours. That's not just about what you're socialized to think and believe. Well, the only other way to do that is if you have things that expand it. Reading is a way that you can expand that in a world that is just within your control, in a sense, in the way that you want to do it. You can craft this inner life to be a really beautiful, fascinated thing, you know? And I think that's definitely a critical thing for for me and having that sense of an inner life that could be magical and that I could access it when I wanted to and that it was something separate from what was confronting me and you know childhood can be a bit mundane you know your parents try but you still eventually you're going to school you're coming home I mean school is like a job right (laughs) you know (laughs) so you know we're very regimented quite early on and I think this added so much more who I was becoming. Yeah. And and I love that you mentioned about, you know, these are some of the things that expand you and your inner world. So for you, it's reading. It's also about music. And I look back and yeah, for me, it's also like reading and film. So it's, it's for me, it's that place where I get sucked in. And I just, like you said, it's like seeing magic in things, right? It's like going out of, of, of the movie house and just looking at the world differently or having that a certain something that stays with within me that sometimes I couldn't sleep at night because it just you know awakens something inside me. And, and I feel that in you when it comes to reading. And one of the things that you also mentioned in your book is music. And I love just how you describe it because you said, you know, it's like, it's something visceral about it. And I cannot like, remember exactly your words but I just thought when I was reading it I could feel it in my bones in my body like oh my gosh yeah and I can feel that music just just running through you so and I know that um you also mentioned how much music has you and your father like you you shared a bond through music can you speak about that yes my father and I I know we experience music in the same way And it's a crazy thing to know about someone because, you know, everybody understands life as subjective and feelings as subjective. The thing about my father and I sharing music was that in that moment, it was like we were in our own little sports field. It's a way that we became an extension of each other. We were one person. It was like I would know that the same way I felt it in my skin, as as you were saying, I know that my father felt music the same way. And when I say it was a language between us, it was language that was both verbal and nonverbal. And it was about kind of like the molecular makeup of whatever space we were in. It's something that bonded us as if it was its own environment, you know, as, as if it was its own little planetary atmosphere. And I don't know how it emerged for us in the way that it did. 
I don't know in the sense that I don't know if my dad noticed that I just enjoyed the same things that he did. He probably just did, right? He probably just noticed that I was like, yeah, let's die for all some music. Let's, you know, he probably, he, he probably read those cues. But I'll tell you what really made it incredible for us. It was that my father didn't hold back his own love for what he was experiencing. And he was simultaneously loving the experience and sharing it with me. It never felt like he was just separate in his own experience. It felt like my father was loving me through his enjoyment of this thing. And I've mentioned also an experience with, well, I mean, my mom and, and with my aunt as well, that their ability to love me through the things that they loved was what helped me to then take it in and allow it to have magic in me. And so if my father had been reserved at all in his enjoyment, if he had held back what moved him, because it was him sharing what moved him profoundly, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, you should appreciate classical music, so let's put on some classical music, or let's put on some reggae. It was really like, this moves me, this gets in my skin. Let's, you know, let's listen to this. Well, you think it is quite bad, it's bad, it's great, you know, and we like, playing air guitar or whatever it is, you know, and if he had not have, had let go, if he had not had the courage and the freedom to just be himself and be raw about what he loved, I would not have experienced music as love. Hmm. And it would not have permeated my skin the way that it did. And I think that language that I talk about, it's really a language of love between him and me, where we're sharing this unbridled moment of enjoying each other in an experience of something that was just moving us both. And I think any real communication or language between people is bonded by love. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's bonded in the experience of listening to music or taking a walk or going to a movie, certainly what makes it a common language is, is the love in that space that connects you. Yeah. You know, and I would not have seen that unless I, unless I sat and wrote it. You know, I would have said, oh, my dad and I love to listen to music. We have the same taste in music. That's the kind of thing. So those are the kind of things we say. And um, it has meaning, but that depth of really understanding what that means, what does it mean for us? When I was writing, I realized, I realized how much it gave me and how much his love for me came through mm-hmm. in that sharing. You're speaking about being in this moment where sometimes we don't even have to talk. You know, we don't even have to say the words, but it's just that love has emanated. And for you, it's through through music and how it has, you know, flowed through you and and understanding just how much your father loves you. And these moments that you actually share, sitting together, listening to music endlessly and just sharing the same love and interest these are some of the things sometimes that we take for granted, right? Because it's like, oh, we're just here. We're just sitting here listening to music. But it but it, but it made me remember one of the things that you actually wrote in the introduction part is about, you know, this Japanese philosophy called mono no aware about, you know, how 
we we see this sense of beauty in in the passing of things and yeah. as you write down and as you started writing the book you didn't even like you mentioned you know you didn't even like realize just how much those times that you spend with your dad right mean so much to you and there is that sense of awareness in that beautiful passing of that mm-hmm. moment and i just absolutely fell in love with that because because this is like exactly what this moment is a pearl is about it's about valuing and remembering and savoring those little moments that we feel are you know just mundane and ordinary and so can you speak about how do you embody this philosophy in your life uh, monono aware for me it's understanding that there is no moment that is more or less sacred than another. And so as they pass, we don't need to mourn them in the sense that we have lost happiness forever. There will be a new happiness. There will be a new life. There will be a new moment, right? So we we as human beings, we tend to want to hold on and hold on because we assume a kind of scarcity. Maranoa Wari is saying, yes, it will pass. But then something else will arise. Something new will come. Don't worry. Mm, Don't worry. (laughs) There is more life. And the nature of life itself is is generation, degeneration, creativity. Life itself is full of that. And that cycle, that movement, that fluidity, you come to appreciate those moments and they fill you up so viscerally precisely because, you know, it's passing. It's passing. It's passing. And the thing about about that as well, though, and I noticed when I was writing is that I'm telling my story in a different way now. And it's not because my I'm imagining a different version. It's because I believe that we take it all in. I think life as process is that we're 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 there, but we don't put our attention on particular those particular moments at that particular time. And so the minute you zoom in on it, you experience it. You have that rush. And that's just another way of also saying that part of Mononuawari is that the moments that you have that really touch you deeply, whether you're aware of it or not, they become a part of you. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other thing about it is that there's so much that's fleeting, but then at the same time, we become reshaped. We become a different version of who we are. We are not the same at their passing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, you haven't lost the essence of the experience. The moment might be gone, but the essence of that is there. And the opportunity then to savor it is available to you even after it's gone from your, even after the moment has passed, but somewhere inside of you, your body remembers, you remember. And once you bring your attention, you can see this has shaped me. This was beautiful. (laughs) This was, you know, and so Monono Aware is, I think, such a deep, thing to understand that you are always changed by even those feeding things and you need that cycle so that you can be in change so that you can truly appreciate you need that flux 
so that you can really distinguish. Wow, this was incredible. If everything was the same all the time, you just you wouldn't know, you know. Yeah. And I so I think yeah, I think the 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 bit of sweet nature of life is what makes it incredibly beautiful. Yeah, and while you were speaking, I'm actually thinking of how just an example of the polarity of things, the breath. Mm. Right? And you're like saying like, you know, we can't like just hold on to to that moment in time, right? We can't be attached to that part of our lives because there is that breath that's waiting to come, right? So when we yes. inhale, there's always an exhale and it just flows and flows and flows. And if we stop breathing, then for dead, right? So it's yeah. just allowing that the next breath yeah. is going to come, and then there's that next breath, and so that that was the that, that's the image that that came up for me, and I I'll absolutely love what you also said that you know we have the opportunity to savor these passing moments, and I think the important thing is for us to actually be aware of that that we have it in us to to savor this, and then you know not have to wait and then look back and say that. Oh, you know, there's that sense of regret that comes in that I could have spent more time with my dad or I could have done this, this and this, right? It, it comes much, much later. And so I think it's just bringing that with us, that monono aware, right? That 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 philosophy in, in, in our lives and just saying that, you know, this is an opportunity for me to savor this now. And I'm going to capture it. And I, I love this term that I actually read recently. And it says, it, you know, just pocket the beauty you see. It's just like catching that. It's just putting it in my pocket right here. And knowing that it's there, it's safe. That I have it. it, it it's I, would, I would add to that. And I think I, I tried to explain it a little bit, but maybe not perhaps very well. Because I realized, and maybe this is the exact way to say that my inner child she pockets it, even if I don't. And so that's why we can reframe that story. So part of that journey for me with writing this book was very much that, wow, I actually saw all this beauty in my life. How come when I talk about my life, I'm always talking about what's really hard about it, all the turmoil in my my childhood or the turmoil in my work life or my turmoil in my adult life. And, you know, and then I realized that my inner child, she was just picking up all that love for me. She was putting it away in a little <laughs> chest, <laughs> just waiting for me to let her have a chance to talk about it from her perspective. Mm -hmm. And when I sat down with her to write this book, it was an opportunity for me to see all of that love through the innocence of her eyes. Because for her now, she's not seeing just struggle. She's seeing love through struggle. She's seeing perseverance through disappointment. She's seeing strength not just this idea of being a victim. She's seeing, she sees the bigger picture because her innocence doesn't allow her to just wallow in what's mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. And so this is the the other side mm -hmm. of it is that you can choose to, if in the moment it misses you because sometimes it's hard and it just misses you because we're caught up and we're not able to savor, it's too big in the moment. This is also a reminder that don't worry. There is a part of you that knows how important this moment is. And when you need to draw upon that, 
you can find that inner child, that inner innocence, that love inside of you that's kept away, <laughs> that's not released, that's kept away from you. When you need it, you can draw upon that. I think that was probably the most reassuring part of this journey for me is mm-hmm. that there is that part of me that is still looking out for me and saying, okay, I see you're really caught up, but you know what? I'll, I'll, I, I got you. <laughs> I got you sorted out. <laughs> Don't worry, you know. <laughs> and I guess in that sense, in a child could be anything. I mean, you could call it your spirit. You could call it, mm-hmm. you call it many things. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, this was very much about a healing process and understanding that there is innate in me, inherent to me, that core being that I see as that inner child, that innocence, that unconditioned love. Mm-hmm. That's Seeking, that's seeing, that's living, and is there to support me. Yeah. Just have to tap into it, you know? So, yes, savor, yes, make it a practice, but also remember that you 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 have a part of yourself that is plugged in mm-hmm. to what's good. Mm-hmm. You know, that part of you is plugged into what's good, and when you need it, when you need some storms, because it's winter and you're hibernating or whatever, and you need some good emotional backup, you have that. You have that there in you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Let me just pause for a moment mm. to process that one. Because I just feel that's such, such a wonderful reframe of how yeah. we do look at things. And you speak about, you know, just trusting Trusting the inner child, that spirit, that guide, whatever it is in your life. Whatever it is, you know, yes. It could be God. And just trusting that there is that part of you, even in moments when you are in the most bottom of bottoms, yes. that there is somebody out there, you know, like yes. within you, picking up those the beauty and just in, in pocketing Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And saving them for you. I love it. Absolutely. This is the biggest Thing that I realized it was the greatest gift that I could have been, been given was that I realized this in me. Otherwise, I would not I would I would not have had access to that story of love and adventure and conviction, <laughs> strength, all of those things. I would not have been able to turn my attention to it had I not just given myself that chance for that that core part of myself to emerge. Beautiful. Speaking of unconditional love, you, know, you you spoke about that as well. And there is this story that you told in to introduce that the chapter was, you know, how your uncle was so excited, right? When you were when you were born and you asked this question, like, how is it that you know someone can actually love you unconditionally even before meeting you? It's just the idea of you is already like loved. And and that kind of like, you know, gave me a, a sense like, yeah, how is it that I, with my nieces and nephews, I love them to bits like before they were even born. They were even just in, in the womb of my of my sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, I already love them so deeply. Like, where is that love coming from? And yeah, so I go ahead. Yes. <laughs> that chapter, yes. I it's loving for no reason at all. And the term I used actually was unreasoned love, mm-hmm. which is a different kind of a spin. It's just a more 
I think, targeted way of saying that I do not need a reason to love you. And that if I have a reason to love you, it means that I cannot love you mm-hmm. if that reason is violated. And what I saw in what he wrote was exactly this. This person has no reason at all to love me, but he does with every part of his being. And then I realized that it didn't make him or anyone else that I spoke about. I spoke about my granddad because really that story he told me was about my Jiddi, my um, maternal grandfather. It was really about him and like he, the nervous excitement for getting keys, running up to the store, just, you know, my picture <laughs> probably flailing in the wind <laughs> as he was, you know, practically going to get it to my grandma. But it was in no way out of obligation. It was in no way something that is just part of a socialization process. I was exploring in that this realization that she didn't agree with everything that I said. It wasn't that we didn't occasionally have fights. It wasn't that he didn't get disappointed with me or whatever it is, but that that love was real. This was real. And the deeper point to all of that was we tell ourselves that we have to have reasons to love people. So you have to love your child no matter what because it's your child. Or you you have to love so-and-so because of relationship. But my main point is no one ever needs a reason to love. And therefore, there is never a reason not to love anyone. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you let someone exploit you or that you have no boundaries. But I can love the person that I'm just seeing walking down the street. I don't need a reason. Love doesn't need a reason. But we tell ourselves that we need to have certain criteria to give ourselves permission. And what I think is that because my Gigi and my uncle and my family that I speak about a lot in the book could love me for no reason at all, it means that we all can love each other for no reason at all. But that's, love never has a reason if it's true. And so we don't need to have this criteria. We don't need to give ourselves permission. Just love everyone. Why not? (laughs) Why not? Why not be open? Why not just love? Yes, because it's so arbitrary, you know? You think about things, I mean, children that are adopted, for example, you're not blood relatives, quote unquote, but you give yourself permission, right? I've adopted this child. But I could very well just adopt the person that I see walking down the street and love them just as deeply. You know, and so it occurred to me when I read what you wrote that, yes, there was this just complete, crazy, unreasoned love that left people frazzled and like bursting with, <laughs> with excitement. But that also, that, that capacity, we can have that for every life. We can have that for every life. That's what that taught me, was that mm-hmm. I have that love in me for every life. And, and again, it's like tapping into that, you know, wealth of love that's already within us yeah right and and you you even wrote this and i quote you from the book you know our capacity for love is bigger than we thought we are the ones limiting ourselves to love right so unreasoned love right like we 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 stop ourselves we're limiting ourselves to love someone because we need a reason to love the other and this reminds me of um, a practice, uh, loving kindness meditation. So it's metta, the metta practice of, like, you know, 
evoking love. And like you said, some people, maybe they don't feel love, right? Maybe they they have gone through a certain kind of, of, you know, a trauma in their lives that it's hard. It's just hard. Yeah. But the, the practice in itself, it's it's tapping into what's already available for you. And one of the things is that when starting out in the, the loving kindness meditation is actually first is to think about, you know, people who have shown you kindness and love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily sometimes love is such a big word that it could be like, you know, no, right? like there's this resistance. Then maybe someone has shown you some kind of kindness. Right? Even if you feel like you're the most unloved person in the world, maybe there is someone out there. And so that that kind of feeling of just evoking it. And you know, the the, the process of that is like changing inside, you know, that feeling of of just expansion. Right? So so that's that's like what came to me when I was reading that um this portion of the book. And I, I thought it's just like really beautiful when you said you know it's unreasoned love. That's perfect actually, because the truth is, is that no one hands you over some love and then you take the love and you feel the love. It's all within you. It's only within you. <laughs> if it wasn't within you, you couldn't experience it. Love is not a thing. Like I say here, Francis, have a drink of water and you take the water and you take mm-hmm. it in and you drink it in and then you take it in water from me. Love is not something I give you. Love is something that is triggered and unfolds from within you mm, and so mm, mm, you can allow that unfolding anytime you want it's there for you and this is why people say all the time well, you know you can't love anyone if you don't love yourself and the truth is, is that if you haven't tapped into what that feels like inside of you you're not going to know it you're not going to be able to connect it to other people so you have to connect yourself to the love within mm-hmm. or the experience of love for you to be able to then have a loving experience of life, right? It's one of those things that is emergent. Hmm. It's not something that is in isolation. It happens when there's a connection and then it unfolds, it comes into being. You also spoke about the struggle in your journey in finding your purpose. You know, purpose is such a big word, but I I just love the way you uncovered it, you know, through digging deep and just, you know, taking a long, hard look at yourself through the lens of others. And, you know, I I was especially touched by the letters you shared from the children when one of the workshops that you did. So maybe you can tell us a little about the process that you went through. I realized that I took people in my life who love me for granted and that they were experiencing things in their relationship with me that were profound, that I was just dismissing. And I thought, here I am now thinking about my purpose in life and I'm not even paying attention to how I'm impacting people in my living of my life. How am I not taking on board what people are taking the time to tell me about what I mean to them, as in the meaning I give to their life? 
And so certainly the purpose that I'm fulfilling has to be linked to that meaning that I bring to the lives of others, that meaning that I bring to the experience of the people around me. And I just had this idea to start off with those emails from two people, one who's hosting that room for a while, as I said in the book, and one who just knows me barely, you know, but it, it didn't mean that we couldn't kind of capture the essence of who I was. You know, how am I showing up in the world, really? How do I take up space on a day-to-day? You know, certainly that sense of purpose must be carried forth in the way that I interact with, with people. How am I showing up? And I realized that I am communicating something. And when I saw the beauty in what they said about me, you know, all that light that they saw, the fact that I helped them feel more connected to the world, the fact that they always felt love from me, the fact that they always felt a deep understanding, that they felt heard. And I thought, okay, we're getting somewhere because this is something innate that you're just doing. You're already manifesting. And then I realized, you know, sure, you've been keeping a portfolio for years. There's information. Mm -hmm. People are taking time to tell you things (laughs) about what you've been contributing. And then I went and I looked back and I saw what the children wrote. And I I saw things that I had said when I was in my 20s, you know, about who I wanted to be. (laughs) And I thought, wow, you know, you've really been trying to do this. You've been really trying to be of service in the world. You've been trying to, to quote unquote, do good things. You've been trying to contribute something positive. And you actually haven't wavered in that. You know, I've been that person. I think that we are living our purpose. I think that whether or not we conceptualize it, we are living it in some way. Even if sometimes it's not as strong as it could be because we're not given the space or we don't give ourselves the space. The main point of that chapter for me was that I think that everyone is already living to some degree their purpose through the power of their gifts. However, those gifts show up. And when I read the letters from the children, when I saw the things that I said in interviews, when I read those reference letters from my bosses, when I read the messages from those two friends, I realized these are some of your gifts and in those gifts lie that purpose and how you live it in the world. And I think that's true for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that that is true for everyone. And I'd be willing to bet that you uncover something if you use that as a methodology to just look at how it is you're giving meaning to others, look at how they describe your gifts, look at the impact that you're making you will uncover you will uncover that sense of mm. purpose and the gifts that you're using to employ that purpose. And then you can choose to magnify those gifts if you want. <laughs> then you can choose to concentrate them if you want. And it's not about the job that you have. You can live your purpose in every second of your life. It's not about some big grand idea. It's about amplifying those gifts and putting them to work. However it is that you, however you can, it could be a trip to the grocery store and a a small exchange between you and someone. It could be the way that you walk down the street. I love that. That purpose is actually not this big thing you are working towards. Right. But it's it's in you, in your everyday actions. It doesn't have to wait for, you know, 
maybe when I find out what that is, I'm going to be like this. I'm going to act this way. (laughs) But it's living it throughout. I'm looking at your purpose that you've written. So would you be so willing to read that one for us? So when I look at everything that had kind of been said, and then I looked at what I felt that I was doing in terms of my gifts, I I tried to put them all together. And what I came up with is my earth life purpose is to lovingly, intuitively, and respectfully, without judgment, use my unique understanding of the interconnection of human experience to cultivate and inspire clarity, understanding, interconnectivity, and loving expressions of consciousness. I achieve my purpose through the gift and capability of deep empathy, intra and interconnection, insightful communication, accountability to self, other beings, and our planetary and cosmic parents and homes. Oh, wow. Huge. But it really is, really is about being in connection with yourself, with others, with life in general. Yes. And I feel the depth of that, and I feel that you are living it. (laughs) I I think, um, (laughs) thank you so much. But I think in a way, it's a little bit of a cheat because I think however we frame it, I think all of us are doing just that in our way. Hmm. So when I thought about what I was going to write down, I thought, what is the thing that I can write that is really going to give Mm -hmm. me the most expanded experience Mm -hmm. possible? It's not going to lock me into anything. It's not likely in this life that I'm living going to be something that I ever look at and go, oh, that can't be right. (laughs) That's crazy. It was so full of love. It was full of an open heart, an open system of thought, an open approach to what can happen. And it was fearless about connection. And you are so right about that. It's all about connecting at every possible level. And non-judgment, respect, those things also mean being willing to be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. being willing to take risks being willing to be in situations where you're facing someone who has an oppositional perspective or way of of life. So for me, when I read it, I also hear that part. I also hear the part that says this means, Sheree, that you can't walk around going, okay, I like this, but I don't like that. I like this, but I don't like that. You know, I really, really love you, but I I don't like this thing that you're saying, so I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You know, like (laughs) it really means that I'm going to be hearing the things that I don't want to hear that I'm going to let myself be confronted by those things mm-hmm. because you can't really be truly connected if you don't allow yourself to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and challenged and vulnerable. So that's the journey. Your purpose is what you're bringing, but it's also how you are on the journey of life. It's also about how you are oriented in that journey. Are you just completely afraid to be in any kind of pain or discomfort? Or are you going to be living in acceptance of what comes along? And I don't see them as being separate. So when I read it, I'm reading both. This is what I'm bringing to others to life. 
But this is also what it's going to mean for how I live that mm-hmm. journey. <laughs> you know, I'm not just going to be sitting up here drinking cocktails and being like, come, I'm connecting with you, everyone. <laughs> come and connect. <laughs> no judgment, no judgment. You know, it's really about that exchange. It goes both ways. And it's about how you how you tread on the earth, how you how you walk alongside the others mm-hmm. who are here with you. And that includes human and non-human beings. And I make that clear as well, because I really have true respect and connection for all of life and for this whole process that we're in here together. You know, it really does take all of us. And no life is insignificant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The willingness to be in uncomfortable (laughs) situations, even if, you know, even if, when you were speaking about that, like, you know, I was like, it's difficult, right? It, I mean, it's it's a challenge to like sit through hearing right, what's like, what's not good about myself or being in a, what, in a very uncomfortable conversation with someone you really care about. How, how do you like still be in connection with them, even with all that, you know? misunderstandings or pain or disagreements how do we still be living in that authentic connection with another so i think that's yeah i think that and believe it or not because i thought about this along the way and i call myself out on it (laughs) i think sometimes those tough situations can in a way because we're incentivized to make it work many of the time we We'll care about it. We'll pay attention to it and we might work on it. But and I, I think every once in a while, you know, I'm walking on the street and someone starts talking to me and I don't know, it could just be I'm vegan for animal rights reasons. And I don't know, maybe they're eating a piece of chicken and I just don't want them anywhere near me. <laughs> you think I'm up just even if I seem superficial, but those little things, those little judgments, those little things mm-hmm. that we're so fickle about. You know, I could be in this big, long discussion with someone that I love and I'm crying and I have uh-huh. so much invested and I'm there and I, please don't leave, let's sit, let's talk it out. And I want to sit and talk it out. This person comes over with, you know, like chicken grease on them. And I'm like, I can't handle it. <laughs> like running the other way, you know, and I think, what is this? What is this? Because what am I missing? What could have happened in that exchange? What was that possibility and how many little things are we picking up on in our day-to-day that we don't even notice because we have all of these biases and judgments and fickle things about us. You know, in Buddhism, you talk about craving and aversion. And aversion is just as awful, right? Because it keeps us separate. So how many judgments am I making just walking down the street every day? How many people am I slightly inching away from (laughs) that I don't even notice that I'm inching away from? Am I really making eye contact with everybody, even the person that's eating a steak or <laughs> whatever it is? You know, because that's the thing about that, is that as strong as my convictions are about so many things, and as much as people might say that they're laudable, I think they're great. I also need to understand that I can't judge people based on whether or not they're falling in a line with how I think we should live and what makes me comfortable. And when I really thought about that aspect of it, I realized just actually how fickle I am because I'm so busy defining my strengths based on things that I do that are challenging that I 
am really invested in directly, as opposed to thinking about all the things that I run from that don't even really have a big bearing on my life, but I'm avoiding, I'm judging, I'm discriminating all the time. And then I think, well, how are you going to feel connected to anything if you constantly have those little things in your head? And some of it is just the way we're socialized. Because we're, as we say in Barbados, I live in Barbados, so people would say, you know, we're scornful. Humans can be quite scornful, <laughs> isn't it? You don't realize, but if you come back to thinking about children, for example, you know, a child will be eating something and their entire face is eating. I mean, their eyebrows are eating, their uh-huh. hairline is eating, <laughs> food and everything. And a child will be sensitive enough that if you move away or if you say, oh, you're dirty, it cuts them. It cuts them, but feeling that someone doesn't want to touch you mm-hmm. or someone doesn't want to be near you, it's no different than the adults walking down the street. They're mm-hmm. still getting that message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the same way we get that message. Right? So I think about how much we don't clue in to how scornful we are <laughs> because, you know, we have so many aversions. <laughs> We have so many things that we're like, oh, I don't want this around me. Yeah. So many things. And if you just pay a little bit of attention, you'll see how much you avoid because actually we have all these things that are just challenging us in some way. Yeah. Once again, that sense of awareness that's just needing or having, having that will make a lot of difference in how we interact, we deal with other people. I think we we pay a lot of attention to very fixed ideas of what connection looks like, right? And so, okay, so connection is about communication. Communication means this and that and blah, blah, blah. But we don't pay attention to how we disconnect. Mm -hmm. And I think the the minute I started paying attention to how I disconnect, I was just, actually, I was quite appalled (laughs) at how scornful I can be, even to myself. You know, I'm constantly sporting myself. You know, I my body image is, has always been a challenge for me. You know, every time I get dressed to go somewhere, I'm scorning myself. My choices about what I'm wearing or not wearing is a process of just judging and 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 existing in a state of aversion to, to certain aspects of myself. And I just think, wow, am I connecting, really connecting? If I'm meditating three times a day, but then I'm scornful mm-hmm. about those other things am I really connecting to myself you know so I I, I pay attention now to how I disconnect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love that rephrase not so much to how you have I to connect, look at how, yeah but I disconnect so I disconnect? when I'm coming back to that sense of purpose it's the same thing when I read it I also see it's our polarities again right so it's not this or that but it's this and that so it's connection and disconnection <laughs> all of those things and then you're looking to see okay where am I needing to have more balance there are some things that you need to disconnect from but you know are we really being discerning about what we are disconnecting from and how how are we doing that especially when it comes to our relationship with self and our relationship Mm -hmm. with others so I read my purpose as a set of polarities and understanding that I have balance in, in all of those positive things I'm saying inherent in those are that other side of the spectrum. That's a lesson for living it. That's a lesson for living it.
in a few words, like how how does one really live in connection with oneself and others? Wow, the first thing that came to mind was you have to begin with non-judgment. You must non-judgment. It's that simple. That's the start. And not to be, uh, not in the sense that, I mean, we're not saying that if you're in a dangerous situation, you don't, okay, just to be clear. We mean that you're not in that constant state of saying good or bad, good or bad, reject, accept, reject, reject, accept. You are observing, you're taking in, you're being present. And then the next thing is respecting where people are. It's not always about you. Don't make it personal. Don't make it personal. So I think just on a very easy, superficial level, I mean, those are the things that are triggered in us all the time. We're judging. We're making it personal. <laughs> we're in opposition to others. And I would say just those three things are great ways to start. And don't silence yourself and don't silence others. Silencing, and this is something I talk about in the book, silencing is a really dangerous thing to be doing. And so maybe those, I think maybe four things now, you know, don't judge, respect people where they are, don't silence yourself. And this is the same, don't be judging yourself all the time, having respect for yourself. Can't remember the other thing that I might have said, um, but... Yeah, the third one, don't silence yourself. Yeah, I would say. And maybe that's just because right now in this moment, because this may change if you ask me in six months, maybe I'll say something <laughs> yes. else. But the lesson of the moment is that, right? Because I'm dealing with those things in myself. The book was one of the, it's the first time that I really understood what it meant to give myself voice and to really try to push myself out of me is how I describe it. Pushing myself out of myself. And I had to be able to be vulnerable and not judge myself. I had to respect myself where I am right now, be able to allow myself to grow. And yes, I, I couldn't take it all too personally because then I wouldn't have written anything. <laughs> and I would have just been, I wouldn't have had the good story. That was the thing that I said. It's not personal, you know, it's not something that you have to take in and 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 make it a part of your identity. You know, life is serious, but it's also light and absurd sometimes in the serious darkness of it. You are never the same person from moment to moment. So there's nothing that could ever completely define you ever. You know, you're never absolutely this or that. So what's the point in taking anything personal? That person they were talking about, that was five minutes ago, you know? <laughs> that person isn't here now. <laughs> exactly. That was you. That was you from 30 seconds ago. That was you from a second ago. That was you from two seconds ago. Who cares? Who cares? Respond, take it in stride, be open. Don't judge, respect, you know, and give voice. I love this three. Non-judgment respect yourself and others and give yourself the voice and don't make it personal and don't make it personal don't make it personal <laughs> don't, make it personal. <laughs> don't make it personal not about you it's not that. i i i believe it i believe it's not about me it could have been me a second ago but <laughs> right now no it's not it's not about me yeah let's move forward yeah let's move forward and also i think um so much of the pain in the world is unconsciously done. It seems personal when we think about huge struggles, we think about war, we think about racial divides, we think about poverty, we think about those issues. And those are big issues. And we experience them personally and viscerally. 
But the anger that burns us to pieces is about internalizing it to the point of you're personalizing something to the point where you are consumed by this idea of being wrong beyond any kind of reasonable way of managing it. And you're more consumed by the feeling of being wrong than the fear, than having a clear idea of what the next step is. Mm. And you perpetuate a cycle of negative emotion because you've internalized this and you feel under attack all the time. In your mind, it never ends. And you never can see what that next step is toward the outcome that you want. And so when I say don't make it personal, what I mean is, is okay, so that happens. Let's now think about what emotional state do I need to be in to move beyond that and to actually get to an outcome that I can manage or that would be best for, for mm-hmm. everyone. And that could never be to be in a state of constantly, I'm constantly slighted, I'm constantly at disadvantaged, I'm constantly exploited in my head, I can't get past it, I can't get past it, I can't get, we have to get past it. And that's why I say that, don't, don't make it personal, don't, don't live there. If you live there, you're not going to move forward. I agree with you totally. And yeah, sometimes we just you know live inside our heads and it's that voice we listen to most of the time. Thinking that it's about the others, but it's really us and what we think about. Um, and also us. just, I face racial discrimination. I face gender and sex discrimination. I've, I've faced a lot of different things in my life that are legitimately difficult, like many people. So it's not that it's not important. It's not that you don't have to protect yourself or confront it, but it's that understanding that this is about a bigger challenge that we're having as a human collective and that these are unconscious things that have emerged in our human collective that are doing damage, yes, but they are things that you can only shift through having a consciousness that is not coming from a fear-based place, not coming from that same place of judgment, not coming from a constant state of fear. So it's really just about understanding what you need if you want to change the outcome. You know, in those moments when people are terrified, it is very personal in their heads. They can't think of any other way that it isn't. But we need to be able to understand there has to be a distinction between how we experience that on an emotional level and how we respond to it and what kind of emotion you want to perpetuate. So I guess the, what I'm really trying to say is that when we make something personal in our mind, we're perpetuating a certain kind of cycle, a certain state of being that stops us. You're just repeating the same thing over and over, and it doesn't take you beyond that situation. You know, so even in the most challenging situations where I tell myself, one, you don't have to do this alone. You're not in this alone. (laughs) Let's try to see from a compassionate perspective where all of this negativity is coming from. Let's try to see how we can get help, how we can help ourselves. So you're thinking more healing thoughts instead of thinking, I'm being persecuted. I'm in danger. I'm a victim. Those are dead-end thoughts. You don't get anywhere. After you think that thought, what do you do? So it doesn't really catalyze a mm-hmm. good, healthy mm-hmm. response. I guess yeah. that's my point about that, right? And we could always unpack it, but I wanted to just be clear that it's not that we don't have things coming at us. We have things coming at us, but your emotional state can impact how you respond. 
Yeah. So think about the emotional state that you need to have that's going to really benefit you right now. Mm-hmm. Can I get help? Can I help myself? Can I get out of here? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is. Wow. Yeah. There's just so much here. I know that we can go on, right? About about this and the different topics that stayed in your book. And once again, I just wanted to say how I think your book is very important and how I feel that, you know, a lot of people could benefit from it. And so is there anything before we wrap this up? Is there anything that I have might have missed that you would like to, to share? I think perhaps maybe not that you missed anything at all. But what I would say is uh, for anyone listening, if uh, there's one thing that you kind of take away from my experience of this is give yourself an opportunity to give life to that inner voice of yours. You know, ask yourself if you're connected to that loving part of who you are and remind yourself that it's already there, as cliche as it sounds. What you might need is a catalyst for it to emerge and giving yourself permission to allow that voice. However it comes out, give yourself a a permission to do that. And Francis, you actually said at the beginning that Portraits were the vehicle for for the book. What it was, and you mentioned this as well, was it was an opportunity to give myself permission to do this. Hmm. I had the time because I had already said, oh, well, you're doing a course. The course has a final project, and so you have the time to do it. So I just have to find the time in a way that I need to justify it. Like, we're like, well, I don't have time for this. I have so many things. Well, this is part of your course, so of course you have time, right, Sharif? You're taking the course because you got the time. And then um, the minute I found out that I could be creative about what I wanted to do, what excuse could I have for not mm-hmm. letting it happen, right? So I think the reality is, is that I didn't need the course to exist. I needed it to give myself permission. And I'm grateful that I did take advantage of the opportunity that that course gave me to do that because I could have easily gone the other way. But to anybody listening, you don't need a course. You don't need six hours a day. You just need to give yourself permission to begin. And whatever your process will be, it will unfold. You won't have to try to do it. And Francis, you said this as well in the beginning, that it was like I gave birth to it. And I also, I feel both like it emerged out of me and also that that maybe I gave birth to it, but also that it gave birth to me. Mm. I feel like it's, this process is something that happened and transformed me and I came out of it someone else. I came out of this differently. And so once I gave myself over to the process, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to do anything. It's giving yourself that permission and just letting it happen. I would wake up and my feet would just come and sit at my computer and I would just start writing. And there were many times when I thought that the book was done and my my best friend, every she was, it's the first person to read it and she offered to do that for me, which was also a, a really huge thing for me. I was terrified to send it to her, but, you know, I would get myself all pumped up. I'm going to send it to her. Today is going to be the day and I'm PDFing this and sending it off. And I'd write another chapter and I'd have no idea where it came from. And when it was done writing itself, mm-hmm. I sat down and I just started an email to her and I just sent it off. That's how I knew it was over. 
don't know. So that's what I would say is give yourself permission and just allow that process to unfold. Whatever it is, it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. But you you have that light in you and you have that inner child that's mm-hmm. been storing up all that love and you just have to give it permission to share it with you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Cherise. So can you indulge us one last time we're reading this, sure. this um, poem of yours, A Meditation on Emotional Connection? So this is the last thing that I write in the book. It's my end note to the reader. A meditation on emotional connection. Feel those uncomfortable and seemingly unbearable feelings. Let them continue. Let them overwhelm you in stillness. Do not yet act. When they pass through you and over you, you will see that there is something solid that does not waver. Name it. Strength, peace, divinity, love, your true self. Your inner child, whatever name calls you, imprint it. And remember, no matter what is happening, inside you or around you, that core is always there. Then call upon it as you burn in the fire of your pain, your confusion, your fear, your discomfort. All will be transformed, I promise you. Emerging from the fire is the only way to truly live. With deep gratitude to you, Francis, and everybody ah, who's listening. Thank you so much, Cherise. Thank you for listening to Big Impact Women. You can read and download a full transcript at bigimpactwomen.com forward slash podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. If you feel moved and inspired, head to iTunes and leave us a review. I love hearing your feedback on how we can continue to grow and evolve the program. I believe when women come together, we can co-create humanity's new story and contribute our gifts to the world. BigImpactWomen.com Go ahead, make an impact.